You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone, joined today by Christopher Nee, Zach Blostein, and uh, welcome to everyone watching live on YouTube, everyone listening not live on YouTube on the podcast later. Uh, you're dead to me. I'm just kidding. Hi, everyone. Thank you for everyone joining and listening. It's a big week, fellas. It is Miami hate week. Can we get a U upside down real quick for the people watching? No? Really? All right. Well, Chris Nee and Zach Blossing are Miami fans. That's the only way I can absorb this information. So we're, uh, we're going to go through one previewing the FSU Miami game, obviously, with today's pod. Uh, but just as big as the game uh, for, for the future of FSU's program is the recruiting uh, developments that will happen this weekend and who's on campus and what kind of product can you put on the field to maybe help you know, solidify commitments or convince guys who are on official visits to uh, take another level of interest in your program. So that's something that we certainly want to delve into, and that's what we're going to start off with. But first, Christopher Hoops is back well me and bob were sitting there last night making our plans for the final four at the end of the game which apparently i believe is in new orleans this year so that's just absolutely perfect that, that's a win-win i don't even know if i need fsu to be there in new orleans uh it was fun last night 105 70 over Penn. Penn playing for the first time in over 600 days because the ivy league didn't play last year because of covid FSU looked really good defensively. They started slow offensively. They were three for 13 in the first eight minutes, and then they shot it pretty well the rest of the game. Did a good job. Malik Osborne, you know, he was flat on his back a week ago because of the flu that went around the football team and other programs. He only practiced a couple days leading up to the game. He was awesome. 18 points, which is most ever in his FSU career. He scored more at Rice where he was before FSU and 13 boards, which equaled a career high at FSU. Um, double-double, fourth of his career, I think third in his time at FSU. I think he had one prior to arriving at FSU. Malik embodies kind of everything FSU is, energy, effort, cheering on your teammates. When you're out there, play to exhaustion, give it your all, do it on both ends of the court, and he kind of did that last night. Another guy who I absolutely loved watching last night, I think the fan base quickly fell in love with watching, was Caleb Mills. Competitive, ferocious, got after it. I described him as a gnat to somebody because he just wants to get the ball, take the ball from you, drive you berserk, make you unhappy. He's the kind of guy that pisses the opposing player off so much that every time the opposing player actually hits a shot, he's going to let Caleb Mills know. It's kind of fantastic just watching that banter and that back and forth. All in all, though, good night for the Seminoles. They played really well, 15 steals as a defense, 26 turnovers, 37 points off of turnovers, 17 fast break points. I think my favorite moment of the game was John Butler controls it at the top of the free throw line on the defensive end. Three passes later, they're at the rim, putting it home, never hit the court. It's just really good basketball. Like That's what FSU is built to be. They're built to create opportunities, get running, get points, get back to playing defense, drive teams berserk with the way they play defense. Plenty of stuff to clean up. Got to start better from a shooting perspective. But I thought the effort was real good when they couldn't make shots early on. They they need to be a little bit sharper with defensive rotations and all the stuff that comes with communication of a new bunch. Florida's going to push them. It's going to be, you know, 
uh, interesting game on Sunday. I think those are two teams very much so finding their way, and obviously it's in Gainesville, so that benefits the Gators to a slight degree. And the Gators certainly want to finally win one in this series after losing so many in a row. But uh, I'm very interested to see how this FSU team goes on the road and plays, and I'm very much hopeful that the defensive intensity of last night you know, is on the bus with them, that they show up to Gainesville. But, no, it was fun. I mean, I, I think Zach was there. I'm sure he had a good time. Hopefully not too good of a time. But yes, Zach Zachary. Be, and let me say, student section was awesome. They were there early. They were loud as hell. They were into it. They had fun. And the crowd as a whole was good. But that student section brought the energy. And a year after not really having that, it was really pleasant to have it back. Yeah. Um, I, I'll just take, like note one thing. Like the student section, it was like me and my, my roommates tried to go. We were there probably 30 minutes before the game started. There were like no seats. Um, yeah. And like, you know, usually that doesn't happen. So, yeah, that was crazy. Um, I think another guy that I'm super excited to watch this year is Matthew Cleveland. Um, you know, just from the small sample size we got in that game, like he looks like he could be that next guy coming off the bench, um, you know, making a big difference for, for FSU this season. So I'm really excited to watch this team. And, um, you know, I guess we'll see their first test on Sunday. Yeah, a couple other guys that highlight Anthony Polite. There are certain shots when he sets his feet from the perimeter, I just never expect him to miss him anymore. It's one of those things where he's developed into that kind of a knockdown shooter from the perimeter where you just expect it. He had 17 points last night. I feel like it came relatively easy to him in the sense of he didn't have to work real hard. He created great opportunities. He was highly efficient, all that stuff. Raquan Evans played well. That's a continuing trend from the preseason. He had 14 points and five assists, which was really nice. Already highlighted Caleb Mills. A little bit slow start shooting-wise, but finished with 14 points, 10 in the second half. Cameron Fletcher, quick hands, quick with his body, got in passing lanes, was really good. Created five of those steals for FSU last night, added nine points. Uh, Zach's boy Cleveland had nine points, also five boards. Worley was good, six points, three assists in his first outing. John Butler, you know, knocked down one from the perimeter. I think that grabbed some people's attention. It wasn't a three. It was a very long two. Finished with four points. The biggest question mark right now with this group is the center position. Osborne's an undersized center, but he's probably their best option there. They were without Tenor Ingome last night. He's dealing with a concussion from catching a Quincy Ballard elbow during practice. Ballard's not that guy right now. He's just so raw, not developed. Naheem McLeod is also raw and a guy who's you know getting his first taste of this level of basketball after coming from the Juco level. He had three points aboard in a block last night. But, yeah, I, I feel like FSU's best option right now for the foreseeable future into December is going to be Osborne with four guards out there with him. I'm just happy that basketball is single-handedly saving Zach's college experience. He can go to, <laughs> can go to Hoops game and enjoy watching the product. It must be nice. Thank you, Ham. <laughs> Thank you, Ham. Thank you, Ham. All right, let's uh, and, and as Chris mentioned, FSU plays Florida on Sunday? Sunday at 1 p.m. It will be on Sunday ESPN, and it's over there in Gainesville, and I intend to be there. Okay. So let's go to recruiting because there is a big old game this weekend. Uh, FSU needs to win its next three games to be bowl eligible. Miami needs to win out and some other things to happen to uh, play for an ACC championship and what would easily be the most irrelevant ACC championship game in, in a decade probably. Um, the stakes have never been higher, fellas. Long term, this is actually a really big game for FSU to put on a good show. 
Uh, and so let's talk about recruiting and who's going to be here. You guys are putting together a running list along with Josh. Josh is a little under weather today. That's why he's not with us. Uh, I don't know. Do we want to start with official visitors or do we want to go to the unofficial guys? Because the unofficial, there's some big, let's, you know, let's go unofficial. Let's start off with uh, Zach, who, who headlines, please. So everyone can take a deep breath, including myself, the list of unofficial visitors for this weekend. Yeah, so I guess you got to start with Florida State five-star defensive back commit, Travis Hunter, making it back to Tallahassee this weekend. I know that's been a long-awaited visit for a lot of you know worrying, worrying FSU fans after he made it to Georgia a couple weekends ago. Um, yeah, you guys are so insecure. Stop worrying about it. Yeah. So, you know, Travis Hunter making it back, that's huge news. And then you move into some of the uncommitted guys. You got – Four-star linebacker Wesley Besaint out of Miami Central High School. He's he's Florida State's top linebacker target probably at this point right now. Um, and then four-star defensive lineman Nigel e. Kelly, former Florida State commit. Um, I think Oregon's probably looking like you know the leader right there uh, with with a couple other teams involved, LSU, um, UF, and you know obviously Florida State. Um, Earl Little, uh, Andrew Ivins of Two Four Seven Sports reported that Earl Little Jr. is going to be, you know, making it up for the game, which I think is pretty huge. Um, he's long been considered an Alabama lean, but as they start to kind of fill up their defensive back uh, room, I think uh, Florida State could, you know, remain in the picture. And I think it's pretty much a Alabama Florida State LSU race for Earl Little. Um, and obviously with LSU, you know, with their head coach in, in limbo right now, I think uh, I think Florida State can can make a little move there. Um, but, yeah, th- those are the main unofficials for for the 2022 guys. Um, there's a bunch of other 2023s and 2024 um, big, big namers on, on the list we have on those 24-7 right now. A couple of things to add to what Zach said. With Earl Little, it's positive that he's getting back up here again because – when he took his official, disappointingly, Marcus Woodson had a family emergency, took him away. That was a game that he missed. Um, so, And Little has a good relationship with Woodson, but obviously they didn't get to spend as much time during an official as one would hope because of circumstances, and it is what it is. But it's excellent that he's getting back up here. He invested a lot of time in the summer spending essentially three days, I think it was, up here, and he spent a lot of time with Woodson in that time. I'm looking forward to seeing some linebackers here because God knows FSU needs some linebackers. Shamar James, Wesley Bassane. Shamar James is a recent UF decommitment. Um, you know, I'd take either of those guys or both without blinking. I think it's also worth noting, I think 10 commitments are coming in for FSU in the 22 class. And the ones who are not are guys like uh, Jalen Early, Jarrell Powers, who are Texas kids, unable to make this trip because of the travel. Some of the other ones, uh, Kanai Shelton, for example, I believe are because of playoffs. playoffs so yeah. it, it's playoffs. A positive that they are getting a majority of the guys in that are committed and the few that they're not, none of those are like red flag situations where it doesn't make sense why they're not coming. Um, and you know, the main guy not on the list that you probably would like to see on the list. I, I would say probably Kevin Coleman, but he's going to Oregon for an official this weekend. So again, there's a reason why he is not coming. Who? Okay. So Travis Hunter is obviously the biggest name of the bunch uh, anywhere he goes any weekend because he's Travis Hunter. Uh, outside of him, the unofficial visitor who's coming that that maybe is the biggest development. Chris, you mentioned you know, someone not showing up as a development, but who's big to be here this weekend? I think the linebackers are very important. Tyree West is another one because they've got a shot. Uh, you know, Georgia's putting together an unbelievable class. West is one of those guys that's going to be interesting to see 
how he fits into the dynamics of that class. If he wants to be a part of that class, you know, because of other guys coming in at the position, big fish, a little pond, little fish, big pond, those kind of things. Um, so I think that's an important one. I think, you know, Zach mentioned Nigel Kelly's a kid that Oregon seems to be trending with. I think it's pretty important for FSU to kind of make another impression there with the former commitment and try to swing that because, well, hell, they need defensive ends. They're about to lose their two best, and it's pretty important. I hope I didn't steal Zach's thunder there, but I probably did. I'm sorry, Zach. I apologize. No, you're good. Um, I think I would honestly go with, you know, if we're talking about committed guys, too, that are unofficial visitors, Sam McCall. Um you know, I think a win against Miami or, you know, a really good outing um, on Saturday would, would go a long way in ensuring his commitment to Florida State, which has, you know, been kind of wishy-washy. Obviously, in recent weeks, he's been pretty um, uh, public about how solid his commitment is. But we've seen that, you know, in interviews and stuff like that, he's he's kind of been, um, you know, hinting at some kind of uh, change in his decision. But, I you know, I think Sam McCall would probably be up there for me. Um, like like Chris said, the linebackers are, are, is, you know, a really important position for Florida State in this class. And for Chris Marv to get, you know, Wesley Besaint up again for another visit um, before he makes a decision, which is expected in about two weeks from now, um, around Thanksgiving weekend. Um, if they can put a good, you know, showing out on the field on Saturday – I think Florida State's got a good shot. Um, and I think UF's probably the other team with Wesley Saint, but obviously it's crazy down there right now. So you never know. Um, but I think uh, I think we covered that, that, you know, the 2022 names well. Um, you know, we could touch on some of the 2023s, but, you know, we have the full list over at Knowles 24-7. Yeah, check it out. It's a good time, especially with recruiting kicking off. Uh, early signing periods in less than a month from now. So this is the time uh, of year where if you want to – if you've been on the fence about subscribing to those 24 seven, this is, this is the time to do so. It's where all the recruiting uh, VIP juice is flowing a uh, real quick on Besaint. So I know like a few weeks ago, we were talking about Miami and Florida state and that, and then with West Virginia kind of trending for him is West Virginia still in it or have they fallen out a little bit? You know, I don't know. Wesley's one of those kids that doesn't really shed a lot of light on how that top five is as a pecking order. And he never has. I think the presumption of a lot of people is that Miami is sort of the the pace car because they're down there. Obviously, they've turned it around to some degree with being five and four now. They're playing mm-hmm. some a lot of young defenders. You know, James Williams, for example, is a Miami kid doing well there. So there's those reasons why the Hurricanes certainly make sense. And I, I believe Mom is a fan of them as well. So, and I don't know on Wesley's part, but I'm sure he grew up at least interested in them, if not a fan. And then FSU's kind of been there because Sabbath Joseph's done an excellent job with that recruitment, as have some other people on the staff at FSU. Randy Shannon's helped play a part, I believe, as well. Uh, FSU clearly needs linebackers. If you watch them on Saturdays, that's something that stands out, that's known. The path to playing is certainly there. And he's a guy that Mike Norvell has kind of put his own thumb on and recruited pretty aggressively every time he's had the opportunity. I think mom enjoyed herself when she came up here with him on previous visits. So I think people have always kind of gone, oh, those are the reasons it's probably an FSU-Miami battle. But he's never, to my knowledge, actually truly said that. Um, Zach can correct me if I'm incorrect in that regard, but I don't recall seeing that. I know that when he's visited other schools, he's never left a school and that school went like, oh, yeah, he's not coming here. There's always been some sort of uh, at least anticipation that they truly had a chance. And I think that continues. I've not had anybody tied to Penn State, West Virginia, or Florida flat out tell me 
it's not going to be us. Now, obviously, Florida is pretty tumultuous right now. You know, firing their D.C., things are going to be very different looking in Gainesville next year, staff-wise, than they are right now. That may be impacting them. But I haven't talked to Blake about that to know for sure. Yeah, I think I would just note, um, I think a few weeks ago, Florida was kind of perceived as a leader. Wesley obviously didn't say anything like that, but behind the scenes, that's kind of what, um, you know, we were being told is that UF was kind of um, making, you know, or out in front for, for the same. Um, but I think obviously recently with, you know, them firing their DC and all the um, turmoil over in Gainesville right now, I think it's all up in the air. And I think I, you know, I kind of, I think I was messaging with um, inside the use Gabby Urita um, earlier th- or last week or, you know, a couple of weeks ago about Wesley Besaint making it in for this game. And I was kind of thinking that, you know, a w- whoever wins this game, you know, Miami or Florida state could really, really um, make a strong push for his commitment, um, you know, two weeks from now. And I think, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't leave a recruits mind uh, two weeks out from their, their commitment, who wins an in-state rivalry game between two of their top, two of his top teams in his recruitment. So, you know, as much as we want to say, like, games aren't everything, you know, winning isn't everything, I think um, a head-to-head matchup while you're in attendance, uh, you know, I think, it, I think it could be huge. It's also worth noting, he's essentially two weeks out from a decision. He's expected to make it around Thanksgiving. So, yeah. you know, when he leaves Tallahassee on Saturday or Sunday, you know, he got one more weekend essentially before he makes that decision. So it, it's a very good chance for FSU to essentially make a last impression. Uh, Kyle and Jennifer Whalen, it's cool. You guys got a joint YouTube account. Zach, is the visitor list still building or do you think it's mostly finalized? It's definitely still building. Um, we have some names that we're trying to, you know, confirm that we've we've heard that are, you know, possibly going to make it. Um, we're just waiting on confirmations on, on a lot of kids right now. Um, but it's definitely not not finalized. Um, definitely expect, you know, half a dozen, dozen more names on that list by the time Saturday hits. There's also yeah, some get... kids who are playoff kids. So if their team was to lose, they're more yeah. likely to be freed up to come. A lot of times in playoffs, if you win, you at least have like a film on Saturday, so you can't come. Uh, I do, to my knowledge, I don't think it's an ACT or SAT week. I believe the last couple weeks have been those. That sometimes limits the ability for kids to come to. I think Brian Courtney is a guy that um, if the, his team doesn't win this playoff game, that I believe he'll be at the game on Saturday. Let's get into the official visitors. There are four of them. The first one, let's go with Legacy. Someone whose pops has has a pretty uh, important role in this FSU Miami rivalry, and that's Marvin Jones Jr. Uh, Zach, I'll throw this to you first. Uh, what's the significance of of him coming in? And, and right now, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the last official visit that he has on the docket as of now. Yeah, um, I think this is his last known visit um, that he that he's expected to take right now. I think visits to like Florida or Clemson are possibilities, but um, those are up in the air. But I think um, it's obviously huge. Uh, in recent you know weeks since the season started, I think we've seen a team like Oklahoma kind of um, you know have have the most uh, mentions around their school with, with Marvin Jones Jr. And I think uh, this gives a, another opportunity for Florida State to kind of make a run at him again. Obviously, over the summer they did a great job getting him on campus, kind of 
multiple times for almost an official visit like scenario where he was on campus for multiple days. Um, I think most notably that end of July kind of um, it wasn't even the end of July event that he was kind of participating in. It was the days following that where he got the personal you know, time with the Florida State coaching staff, especially Mike Norvell. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's just going to be huge. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr. has had this official visit set up since I think the spring. So he's known that he's wanted to see this rivalry um, specifically um, that entire time. And I think um, obviously these, both both these teams aren't performing how they'd like to, but it's still going to be um, a great environment. And I think Florida State can really make a move um, going forward with Marvin. To add on Jones, Clemson does expect him in next weekend, but I don't think they're using an official on him. So he'll have two officials left because he's been to OU, Bama, and now FSU this coming weekend. Uh, he is always pretty quick to mention here recently that Georgia and Texas A&M stand a real chance of getting a visit or both of them getting visits for those officials. So it's worth keeping an eye on. You know, we've mentioned Georgia's putting together an unbelievable, you know, one of the best classes in the nation. A&M's right there with them, especially landing a guy like Walter Nolan here recently. So those are two schools that are just recruiting at that absurdly elite level that you sort of always have to entertain. But Zach's right. I'll use one that probably feels the most confident with Marvin. And that confidence has existed for a couple months now. It's not some new occurrence. So I am interested what FSU can do with him this weekend. He's one of those kids. I don't know how much more he needs to know about FSU, the place. It might be more FSU, the people that he needs to learn more about. Maybe it's, you know, Papuchas or Coach Norvell or somebody of that caliber or Adam Fuller, defense coordinator. Maybe that's the one place where FSU can still make a difference. But I feel like everything else incorporated with FSU, he's obviously very well versed in. And for the record, Marvin Jones Jr., I think we all know the significance of him on the recruiting board right now. He's ranked 18th nationally in the 24-7 sports uh, rankings and uh, 37th nationally in the composite. He's he's a high-end player, a legacy at a major position of need uh, with, with NFL uh, bloodlines and, and NFL talent. Uh, gotta gotta put yourself in a position to get him. FSU is certainly battling for him, but you know you talk about the the names that Chris is throwing out there that are in contention with him. It's uh, not easy, even with him being being a legacy recruit. Moving on to a second official visitor, this is Javante Barnes, four star running back out of Nevada. He is ranked 112th nationally in the 24/7 Sports Composite, 10th running back overall. Christopher, I'll throw this one to you and, and talk about Javante Barnes, his recruitment currently. Yeah, he's the kind of back that FSU loves. Good runner, good receiver, really athletic, really versatile. He fits it. He'd be a scoreboard changer for them. That's why they're involved. Bama hosted him at the beginning of October. He really enjoyed himself there. OU's kind of always been thought of as a leader in this. He has a couple friends already committed there. Uh, They've been super active with him. He is a guy who's completely comfortable with the idea of going somewhere and being part of a unit and not being the sole running back, the guy that carries it 30 times a game. He's actually more on the other side of that. He wants to be part of a group that kind of spreads it out, keeps tread on the tire. So the fact that OU does have running back commitments doesn't hinder their ability to recruit him. USC is kind of the wild card in this. Obviously, we've got to see who the Trojans hire as their next head coach. But they're a school that could certainly make a move with him. I'm sure they're going to push for a late official. He's not shared a lot of news on officials and other plans or even a decision date. Uh, if he makes an early decision, it's going to probably be a three-team battle, Bama, FSU, OU. If he waits, I certainly think USC jumps into that. But right now, OU is the team that feels the best about Javante Barnes. 
in to add. He came in for, I believe it was Midnight Madness. It was around that ballpark of early June. Spent a couple days at FSU. Real, real good relationship with Kenny Dillingham. Kenny's done a very good job of staying active with him, recruiting him. Barnes's visit had kind of gone a little bit back and forth in the last four to six weeks with regards to whether or not you would definitely take one to FSU. Obviously, they locked it up. That's a positive sign. Yeah. Um, to add on to what Chris said, I think uh, getting him on campus is, is big. I think, you know, like like he was mentioning, um, Barnes wasn't sure if he was going to take this OV. I think it was between a couple of schools before State kind of wins out, um, at least to get him on campus. You know, I, I'm not expecting Florida State to go out there and, and, and you know, win him out over OU at this point. But you never know. Um, and, and it just kind of shows that even with FSU struggling, they're getting a you know top 150 recruit from Nevada to come out and, and visit. Um, so I think that's a positive trend. And you know, obviously Florida State um, in in the future is going to have to you know replace some of those um, star running backs that they have on campus right now. Um, and I think Javante Barnes could definitely do that. Uh, but we'll see. I'm definitely interested to talk to him after his official visit concludes, probably on Sunday. Um, and we'll, and we'll, we'll get an update with Barnes um, just on his thoughts uh, about Florida State going forward. Stay right there, Zachary, going on to official visitor number three, someone from your old neck of the woods. That's wide receiver Camden Brown, St. Thomas Aquinas, three-star commitment or sorry, three-star prospect committed to Pittsburgh. Uh, that seems like a, a name that's kind of popped up the last few weeks or so here, Zachary. So, so what's going on with, with good old Camden Brown? Yeah, so like we've we've been outlining for the entire recruiting cycle, Florida State really hasn't explored a ton of options at the high school ranks when it comes to the wide receiver position. Obviously, we all know Kevin Coleman, like we mentioned before, their top guy at the receiver position um, out of high school. But you know he's got OVs to I think Oregon and USC coming up, so they're not going to probably get him on campus again unless they try to get him down in maybe December. Um, so Camden Brown, uh, you know, kind of a big body uh, target over at a powerhouse school like St. Thomas. He's originally from Louisiana, um, but but you know has doesn't have a ton of ties there. But I think Florida State can, can make a move. Um, Pittsburgh isn't disappointing this season, so um, it's not it's not a for sure thing that Florida State flips him. But when he got the offer, I think I, I talked to him, and you know, he was super excited and. Uh, you know, I, I've known Camden for a while. He he camped at Florida State over the summer <clears throat> multiple times and was always kind of looking for that offer. Um, and, I, I you know, I, I was impressed with him when, when he camped over the summer. I think he was at the mega camp. Um, and I think he, he came for an, another individual type setting. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see kind of how Florida State handles this recruitment um, because I know, like, you know, obviously Kevin Coleman's their, their top guy, but um, if Kendon Brown wanted to flip, you know, tomorrow, would they take his commitment? I'm interested to see, um, you know, what kind of priority he is for Florida State. To add on Camden Brown, a lot of schools trying to jump in there. Auburn recently, South Carolina, they're pushing for an official. He did get to pit, I believe, for the Clemson game, or at least he was expected to. Obviously important for a school to always get the commitments back on campus. Um, and I to my knowledge, I don't think he's definitively said he's signing early. So he's a guy that's a little bit open-ended when he's going to make that decision. And as an Aquinas kid, he can't enroll early. Is that correct? Or am I confusing that with Heritage? Or is it true for both? I think it's true for both. Yeah, so 
he doesn't necessarily have to be pushed into that situation. That might be something that benefits FSU. Timeline, if you're able to kind of string that along a little bit, or I, I don't know if it benefits FSU because they're doing using the official this weekend. Yeah. It might honestly be better for them if the window was essentially a month instead of two and a half months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it benefits Camden because it's abundantly clear that he's not entirely locked in on Pitt, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he is still committed to him. And I wouldn't entirely dismiss the idea of him ending up there in the end. Yeah, I guess that's more where I was coming from is that like it, it's FSU slow rolling this recruitment a little bit to kind of see you know, what, what develops at other wide receiver spots. I don't think so. Um, Zach can chime in with his thoughts on this, but FSU needs a couple receivers, and I think they'd like they'd not expanded that high school board a whole lot. So I think the fact that he was one they expanded it to kind of speaks to the magnitude of how they view him. Okay. They also are going to end up probably in the portal looking for a guy who can be an immediate contributor and somebody that can help you know turn around a position that desperately needs it, if not two guys in the portal at wide receiver. Yeah, I think with Camden, another thing to note is. He got an offer after Mike Norvell watched him dominate um, a game in person, mm-hmm. which I think you know is also a thing to note because if Mike Norvell is personally offering um, a kid, um, you know that says something about the priority that he is to Norvell and just this entire coaching staff. So, um, like Chris said, I, I fully expect Florida State to probably go and go in the portal and find you know they need to find um, a wide receiver one uh, in the transfer portal this offseason. Um, you know, Kevin Coleman, Dustin Hill, both possibilities, but you know, not for sure that they're going to both end up at Florida State. So, don't you mess, don't you, don't you mention Dustin Hill on this podcast? You don't want, you don't want all the comments asking about when he's going to enroll. I want to talk about Dustin Hill when he's enrolled and on campus at this point. I was just saying that he's not a, not a for sure thing. So, I was kind of, um, helping you out there. Don't sass me. Don't you sass me. All right, let's talk about uh, the final official visitor. Zach, I'll throw this to you as well. Today you've been on his recruitment pretty closely. That's to Carlos Nicholson, the JUCO prospect from Mississippi Gulf Coast, CC, so community college, and he's initially from uh, Mississippi as well. So uh, go ahead, Zachary. I guess what, what's FSU uh, trying to get out of this official visit, and, and who else is to Carlos looking at right now? Yeah, well, we've kind of seen Florida State offer a bunch of, or not a bunch, but a few JUCO defensive backs. Um, mm-hmm. Carlos Nicholson is kind of the first guy that they they targeted. Marcus Woodson's leading the charge there. Um, you know, obviously Mississippi uh, native. Um, you know, he he's an interesting recruit. Originally a quarterback, tra- uh, you know, converted to a defensive back last year, and then became kind of a top uh, JUCO defensive back guy for a lot of schools um, around the country was originally committed in Mississippi state. He stepped back on that pledge and then he committed to Kentucky after taking an official visit there earlier this season. Um, Florida state got him on campus. I believe it was for the end of July event. He didn't work out, but he was there for a couple hours. And um, basically that was just to set up the official visit for this weekend. Um, So we'll see. I, you know, I think Marcus Woodson's done a great job there. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm personally intrigued just by the Carlos Nicholson, uh, 6'2", I believe, uh, I don't know his, uh, weight right now, but he's a good looking prospect. And I think, um, uh, you know, Florida State should definitely try and make a move there because obviously we've, we've been talking about that third, um, defensive back spot behind, you know, Travis Hunter and Sam McCall. Um, there, there are a couple options, but we saw, 
a lot of those options kind of go other places during the during the off season and haven't really found that one guy that they're honing in on um, going forward. And I think maybe Nicholson could be that guy. Yeah, as far as his weight, the Kentucky commitments listed around 200 pounds. So he's a well-put-together guy. Um, Ole Miss had him on campus for an unofficial either last weekend or the weekend before. They're expected to get him back for an official sometime between now and the early signing period. He is a kid that's expected to sign. At that point, I believe he's also enrolling at mid-year point. Mississippi State, despite being a former commitment there, is still in the picture here and feels like they have a legit shot still down the stretch. So Kentucky, Old Miss, Mississippi State, FSU, those are four different, definite ones in there. With JUCO kids, things develop fast sometimes. Schools are obviously going to be combing those ranks here in November to try to find some guys over the last three, four weeks before the early signing period. I think he's one of those guys that we could see maybe elevate with another major school jumping in. Uh, I love the idea of recruiting against Ole Miss and Mississippi for a Mississippi-born defender. Are you trying to say there's a little fatigue in that regard? Yeah, so Charles Cross is probably going to go pro after this season. So, hey. uh, what could have been? Okay, did we talk about Antavius Woody? Uh, not really. He is expected in this weekend. Uh, I believe it was Keith with our Auburn site, Keith Niebuhr. Um got up with him and essentially Woody kind of said, you know, FSU's done a real good job of trying to retain me. Um, the wild card with Woody is he's never specifically said it to me. Maybe he said it to Zach, but there's some speculation belief that defensive tackle is more appealing position for him. He's very talented at it as well. FSU obviously wants him on the offensive side of ball. I think Auburn's a little bit more open to having him on the defensive side of ball. It's going to be interesting how that plays out. Also, that thing's not ending anytime soon. He intends to be back at Auburn for the Iron Bowl at the end of the month. He may not sign early, so there's still a distance to go, but it's not as far gone as it may be felt or we thought it was when we entered Crystal Balls here in the last two, three, four weeks. Yeah. Um, I've been kind of surprised by how, you know, how long this has played out. Um, Usually when you see a a situation like this, um, you know, you see the commitment kind of, at least decommit um, when he's considering other options like like Auburn in this case. But I, mean, I think Florida State's done a great job. He has an excellent relationship with with Alex Atkins. We've been told that, um, you know, over the course of Woody's recruitment. But I think um, I think in, in that that update with Keith uh, Niebuhr at, at the Auburn site, I believe um, Woody's pretty sure that he's going to sign in February. So I don't expect this recruitment to end anytime soon. And we know how, you know, February recruitments uh, tend to go. Um, we might see other teams kind of enter this mix as they work out their boards and, and you know, maybe, you know, a higher higher tier school need, needs another offensive or defensive lineman and they and they turn Woody's way. So um, I don't think this one's uh, close to over. Um, obviously, we'll see, uh, you know, what Woody's feeling after after this visit. But I think um, – I think it, it's kind of impressive what Florida State's been able to do, just keeping him in the class for now um, with with team like Auburn, um, which isn't far from his home right. uh, in the mix. Lafayette, Lafayette, Alabama. Don't you're muted, Chris. So your your sass cannot be heard. I will I will mute <laughs> you. I I will personally take over and mute you. Uh, the last two recruiting topics I want to get to, and then we'll let you get out of here, Zach, unless you want to stick around for Miami FSU preview. You're welcome to. Uh, a couple of people in the chat have asked about Julian Armella and guess where FSU stands with him. Any officials coming up there documented 
it's been a weird recruitment because it, it really hasn't seemed to heat up for anyone with him right now. But if you guys want to expand on that, please feel free to do so. Yeah, well, Andrew Ivins um, on our site had an update with him, I believe, in this last week. Um, it looks like he's go- about to start taking a run of official visits. He was at Alabama this past weekend. I believe he's going to be at Penn State either this weekend or next weekend. Um, so that's probably the reason why I don't expect him to be at uh, the FSU Miami game on Saturday, but he, he's about to take a bunch of officials. So, um, you know, I think Florida is the weekend or is, I think he's going to take an official to Florida for the, the FSU game uh, on November 27th. And then his fifth and final official visit will be to Florida state at some point in December. So I think that is an encouraging sign Um if you're trying to look at this recruitment holistically and, you know, with Florida state possibly getting the, uh, the last OV for Armella, um, I think that's huge. Um, he's expected to sign in December. I believe he's not an early enrollee because he's at St. Thomas as well. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Um, I think this recruitment's only just getting started. Alabama made a strong impression, but not sure how much they're pushing for him. Um, obviously I think, you know, they took him on an OV, so there's interest for sure on Alabama's end, but not sure if they would take him at this very moment. Clemson's another school that may also get him in. He mentioned that. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's an interesting recruitment. LSU was kind of the one school that seemed to be trending because of the father's relationship with, uh, with Ed and Julian was also very interested in him and he had been there a lot, but obviously everything in Baton Rouge is changing. So therefore pretty wide open again Zach just coughed I'm uh, concerned for the flu that's going around Tallahassee still um stay away from the football program Zachary please will do okay. I think another thing to note with Armella and LSU um they get a coach in there before the early signing period which everyone expects them to do uh he could take another OV there and I think he mentioned in that article with Ivans that he um that, that he would be open to that possibility. And I think, you know, LSU is probably going to hire a big name coach um, just with how that, that coaching search is expected to play out. So I wouldn't be surprised if LSU kind of made a run late at Armella. Um, but for Florida state, um, I guess the one thing that they have going uh, for them at this moment is the possibility of having that last official for, for Julian. Yeah, he, the quote was, it depends just on when the new coach is hired, Armella said regarding LSU. Yeah, I, I don't see them, you know, if you you know are, are making sure that um, you retain most of that, that LSU class, I think you've got to get a coach in there probably what, right after their last game. I, I think that's, that's probably how it's going to play out. Yeah, I mean, as more teams enter the market earlier for new head coaches, you feel like the ones that want to hit the home runs need to hit it as a leadoff home run instead of waiting till the bottom of the ninth. Yeah, if you have the head, if you have a head start, especially early signing period era, like it, it, if you can salvage a class, that's a pretty big deal. As we've seen uh, here the last couple of years, early signing period transition classes are are toughies. Um, more stability, the better. Last thing I want to talk about with recruiting, just real quick, Zach alluded to junior college defensive backs. I believe FSU is also exploring junior college linebackers. We've all talked about the transfer portal at wide receiver. Uh, There are going to be a ton of new names that emerge, uh, whether it's junior college or just the transfer portal. So 
just feel free to expound on this, guys. But like, there's just going to be a lot more development to happen. So these names that we're talking about now for this week of, of Miami official visits and unofficial visits, key. Uh, but just keep in mind that that you know if FSU strikes out or whatnot, like there's positions that are still going to be accounted for moving forward via the portal and uh, junior college. It's funny. Wednesday was the start of the early signing period for all sports, pretty much other than football. And I was having a conversation with somebody that it was a busy day because you know softball, baseball men's and women's tennis, that stuff, all adding athlete softball, you know, FSU added some really good ones. Um, and it brought me to football and I'm like, you know, signing day just isn't the same as it used to be. February is very watered down from what it once was early signing periods, more exciting of the two, but still there's not a boatload of decisions right upon that day. So much is kind of hay in the barn, but recruiting no longer ends in February. It used to be where February came and went and there was very, very little action after that, that impacted that class, that group, what was coming in. Now it literally goes up to August 1st, basically, because of the portal and all of that situation. So it's just it's so changing in real time. It has for a few years now, but I think we've got a pretty good handle of how it changed in the last two years, certainly with COVID additional year has impacted that. So, yeah, I, I'm interested to watch FSU manage their spots as much as anything. Who do they push for? Like Camden Brown. Do they push for Camden Brown or is that a spot that they earmark for something else? for no reason because of value. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more interested in kind of just transactional ideas of what they're doing as much as what they're going after. Anything to add to that, Zachary? If so, you'll have to unmute yourself. Uh, Amateur hour over here. I pulled a Chris. Um, but and, anyway. And a, and a Josh. Without Josh being here, someone had to talk. I'm not here it. for such blasphemy. I'm, I'm perfect gaming it right now. I've not been muted once when I actually wanted to say something on here. I muted him. We're good to go, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. Um, anyway, I think uh, with with, um, with with kind of the transfer portal and JUCO, um, I think we're going to see another kind of run. I think Florida State kind of did that. It was around Christmas time, kind of towards um, the new year, where we saw uh, guys like what Mackenzie Milton, Devontae Love Taylor, two years ago. Jay Sean um, Corbin was right around yeah. after Christmas time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're seeing, you know, I think we're going to see a run around that time of transfers coming in to try and get in for spring ball, um, which I think will be exciting and, you know, fun to cover. Um, so that's where we're going to see a lot of new names that are coming up. Obviously, postseason, post-bowl season, there's going to be a lot of uh, new transfer portal additions across the country that Florida State will definitely um, be exploring. And then also, um, you know, some of these commitments or targets might take their recruitments into February. So we'll be covering those as well. Um, but I think, like you mentioned, um, there's going to be a ton of new names um, from the transfer portal ranks or the JUCO ranks uh, come going forward. And, um, you know, the guys that we currently know about and are talking about now might not be the biggest priority a month or two from, from this point. So now's a great time to sign up for Knowles247.com. Woohoo! But no, seriously, like I, I've really loved the addition of the transfer portal. I know some people are like, oh, it's ruining college football. It is a ton of fun to cover in December. Like it, it's like a free agent period. It, it legitimately has added fun uh, spice to, to covering this football program. So uh, with that in mind, if there's anything else you want to get off your chest recruiting-wise, Zach, feel free. Uh, if not, give us a score for FSU Miami, then feel free to, to get on out of here and uh, go sleep off whatever you're dealing with right now. Um, I don't want to disappoint people, but I think I got Miami 31-21 in this, in this game. Ooh. Um, 
I think awesome. Miami's offense is going to be too much for Florida State uh, in, in this matchup. They've looked really, really good in recent weeks. I think with Georgia Tech, um, besides the three fumbles they had, they probably would have put up a lot, a lot of more points. Um, if they can clean up their turnovers, uh, you know, I think I think they probably come out with the with the victory. But um, Florida State can de- definitely has a path to victory, um, especially if Jordan Travis is out there and healthy. Um, so I'm not counting them out, but that's what I would currently uh, put my score prediction at. Okay. Zach, you are the king of transitions. You nailed that for me because I was going to start by saying if FSC is going to win, it's because Miami ranks a tied for 119th in the nation, last in the ACC, turnover margin, negative 0.78. They love to give it away. They have seven interceptions as a team recorded and just one fumble recovery, so eight turnovers gained. They've lost seven fumbles on the season. That's 104th in the nation and thrown eight interceptions, 75th in the nation. 15 turnovers lost is 97th in the nation. Their margin is negative seven. FSU does not need the fumble luck to start uh, tilting in Miami's favor this week. They needed it to be bad one more week, I think, to, to have a chance here. Um, all right, you want to get into the preview? Zach, do you want to stay around or do you want to get out of here? Your choice. I'm going I'm to peace out. Peace. You, deuces. Bye. Thank, thank you. No, thank you, Zachary. It's weird with him like being full time now. It's like he he welcome to come on any single week or start his own podcast like episode. But I still like he's a guest. You, he's not you a still guest. feel like you have to send him an invite instead of just bringing him in on, on and a, just assuming on. he's going to be part of it. Yeah, this is a yeah. welcoming place. It's a safe place. Chris, if you had to do like your own podcast, what would it be? Like you, I uh, you one. Okay. I'd, I'd take that hour and go outside and do something else. If we're being honest. <laughs> Uh, there's a video of um, Nick Offerman drinking Lagavulin whiskey in front of a fireplace for an hour that came out a couple years ago and nothing. He's just sitting there drinking his whiskey. I think that would be you with maybe like a, like a Porter or dark beer. Yeah. I want to try that Yingling with Hershey's in it, but I think, yeah, I've heard it seems a little like it would be, I had a dream about that last night. Oh God, I'm dreaming about alcohol. All right. Um, let's talk about FSU Miami. So, the Seminoles, depending on what sports book you're using, and they opened as a three-point underdog to one-point underdog, and it's kind of settled in. Uh, let me check here, but I, I think about like two and a half, three points. Um, so FSU is a home underdog right now, but it's fairly close. The big caveat here that Zach talked about before he got on out was whether Jordan Travis plays or not. I mean, at, at this point, it's just it's clear like without Jordan Travis, FSU doesn't really have a chance to, to win games. And that's been the case for the last two years. They literally, they're five and five with him as a starting quarterback, one and seven without him as a starter. And that one win was against Jacksonville State last year where he come off the bench and, and uh, you know, basically saved the game for FSU. So Scored five straight touchdowns. Jordan Travis, regardless of our opinions on him, we won't get into that. Like, he's needed. He's needed for you to have a chance. And Chris, do you want to provide an update? Because I think it's a Pretty positive one on his availability after missing last week's game with the flu, which quote unquote sucked, according to him. I mean, we saw him out there. We spoke to him on Wednesday, which is a good sign that he's talking to us. And he definitely seemed to be in better spirits and pleased to be back out there. Coach Norvell said that he had done a good job kind of working himself back into the grind of it all um, coming off the flu. So they feel pretty good about it. Um, I obviously expect him to play. Feel pretty confident saying that. Okay. So let's move forward with this preview with the assumption that Jordan Travis will play, that he's back, you know, recovered from the flu, that he's as close to 100% as possible. Uh, in some ways, I don't want to say it's a blessing in disguise because you, you may have had a chance to beat NC State with, with Jordan playing. Uh, 
the good news is he doesn't take any physical like shots or any, you know, any, any hits or anything this past week. So he's coming off, you know, basically with like a bye week in terms of, you know, physically, although the, the flu did take a toll on him. Um, but there's not going to be, you know, sprains or, or bumps or bruises or anything like that against Miami. So you, you may have Jordan Travis uh, as far as like a mobility standpoint at a pretty good spot. Uh, Miami's defense, Christopher, we want to talk about FSU's offense, how it matches up against it. Uh, Miami's defense for a defensive minded coach, man, Diaz is pretty subpar. Yeah. Well, they were allergic to tackling, especially in the early half of the season. They were got off at it. They've improved slightly in that regard, but they're still not a great tackling team. They're allowing 30.2 points per game. That's 95th in the nation. Teams are successful through the year against them. 269.8 passing yards allowed per game. That's 112th in the nation. 135.4 on the ground. That's 47. 405.2 overall offensive yards per game is 84th in the nation in total defense allowed. So it's clear that they have some issues there. On third down, they do allow a conversion rate of 41.1, which ranks 91st in the nation. Again, I think that's a situation where they get themselves into bad situations on third down, losable situations. Mm-hmm. A wild stat to me is if you get in the red zone on Miami, you score. 26 of 27 red zone visits this year for opposition have gone for scores. That's 96.3%. That's a freaky high number. Any idea on touchdown? On touchdown? Okay. It's funny you ask. 17 of 27 <laughs> visits or 63% have resulted in touchdowns, with seven uh. of those being rushing and 10 being passing. The other 33% of positive conversions have been field goals, which are nine field goal conversions. Let me check. So do you have that? Uh, I'm pulling it up. Do you have it at what, what that touchdown rate is nationally in the red zone for allowed? I'm pulling uh, I, No, I don't have what the 63% translates to. I'd have to imagine it's in the 115 to 130 range, though. Actually, it's only 86, but still well well below average. Not, not great. The not 63% great. conversion rate for touchdowns is in the 80s? Yeah, it's eighty six. Really? I mean, Jeez. you got can you got Kansas in there allowing eighty six point three percent. But yeah, so two out of three visits result in a touchdown, and pretty much every visit results in points. That's not particularly good. Yeah. So the name of the game for Florida State is to get into the red zone. The, the best chance of that happening, uh, as Chris alluded to, the missed tackles for Miami are pretty absurd. It has gotten a little bit better, like you said, but I think that PFF has them down for this is via true true media, via PFF. 89 missed tackles this season. Ole Miss is the only P- Power 5 team with more missed tackles. They have like 112, which is also absurd. Now, both of those teams play fast. Their defenses end up being on the field a lot, but still 89 missed tackles, not very good. Uh some other numbers, too, worth noting with Miami's rush defense. Chris mentioned that they give up third-down conversions a lot. 60% of third-down runs against Miami go for first downs. It's 118th nationally, so you can run on them. The yards per carry after contact for Miami, uh, this comes back down to the missed tackles. Uh, also problematic, uh, that is 3.41 yards per carry after contact. That's 110th nationally. So uh, what I'm trying to say here, Chris, is, is Miami – Misses a lot of tackles, and you can run on them. That, that, that is something that a uh, strength of FSU's of Jordan Travis is in the game that does match up particularly well, I think. Yeah, going back to the red zone number, it's worth mentioning FSU has converted 19 consecutive red zone trips for 119 points. That's the fifth active longest streak in the country, according to ESPN Stats and Info. So FSU has actually been really good when they get in the red zone of scoring touchdowns. The issue is that lately they haven't gotten the red zone near enough. So, yeah, that's... It's true. Um, 
All right, so how, how does FSU move the ball on them? It's a healthy dose of Jordan Travis running yeah. design runs and. But I think you got to throw the ball in this one. I think this is a game where if you're going to beat them, you got to. Running game's important. Set up the pass with the running game, but you're going to have to throw against them. Um, I know he's super talented. I love him. James Williams, excellent freshman for them, but he's a true freshman safety, and he doesn't get to kind of lean on the other guy because the other guy is Cam Kitchens, who's also a true – or not true freshman, but a freshman safety. Freshman. So they're really, really young back there. And their next guy up is Avante Williams, the one who basically said he hates FSU and is going to beat him. He's yeah, probably probably not not a quote that he needs to be thrown I'm, I'm not there. touching that with a 10-foot pole. You mentioned so it. you got three freshman safeties basically running back there. Now, they're good. They're talented. I think some of the reason Miami's gone that way is because the other guys were missing tackles, weren't doing what was needed there, and there were also injuries that played into that situation. But I think that's where you try to go. You try to get after their safeties. Now, the issue is that leans on FSU's wide receivers, well-documented, not very good, haven't been real effective. And you also worry about can they get open quick enough where the Miami defensive line isn't bothering you. I think Miami's greatest strength on defense is the depth of their defensive line. Zach McLeod's a very productive veteran defensive end. DeAndre Johnson, capable on the other side, and a veteran defensive end. Jafari Harvey's kind of coming into his own now. I think he's a third-year guy for them. He had to fill out on that frame. In the middle, you got Jonathan Ford, Nesta Severe, uh, Jared Harrison Hunt. Uh, Nesta also can work on the other side. And then Leonard Taylor's a younger guy for them who's going to be Johnny Badass down there. He's a damn good football player. His impact per play played is very, very good for them, and it's getting better. He was very good against Georgia Tech. So they're capable defensively of doing something. Now they give up a boatload of points. They've had some major issues. You rolled off the weakness of the tackling situation. It's not like they're not susceptible to being kind of beat up as a defense, but they're also capable of making some plays as a defense. Mm -hmm. It's not a defense that literally is just rolling nothing out there and is incapable. It's more defense that makes too many mistakes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of that is they do play aggressively. They play man coverage. I think it's definitely in the top 30 nationally, maybe even top 20. They, they run man coverage uh, as much as anyone does nationally. Why does that matter? Because last week we saw FSU uh, basically just get stonewalled against NC State when they decided to run man coverage and stick in man coverage. Like FSU tried to do some things to force them to play in a zone. That actually led to, to FSU scoring on a couple drives in the third quarter there. And then NC State just said, screw it we're just going to keep playing man and beat us man coverage and FSU couldn't that's on the wide receivers to kids are very loud. Christopher, tell them, but isn't it a weekday? It's veterans day. So there's no uh, happy veterans day. We've got text Wayne McGahey, friend of the show, friend of us, uh, FSU. Okay. Back, back to the man coverage. Miami runs a lot of man coverage. Uh, it's incumbent on the wide receivers to step up this week. I mean, that's that's going to be important. You're going to have to be quick. Uh, you're going to have to be decisive. Ontario Wilson, I thought Chris had a really nice week of practice. The wide receivers in general had ups and downs. Pokey had a really good week, and that's coming off of a really bad game against NC State. I think you need someone to step up there if you are going to have some semblance of balance on offense, especially with what Miami's going to going to do to you. Yeah, you, you can't allow Miami to tee off. Um, they averaged 2.67 sacks per game, 30th in the country, 6.9 tackles for loss per game, 12th in the nation. So they're capable of kind of getting after you. So you got to be balanced. They're going to have to run the ball. But I think at the end of the day, because I, I feel score prediction, highlight, I feel like it's going to be a shootout. If FSU is going to win, they're going to have to win a shootout. I don't think this is a game that's played in a defensive stance. Go Knowles asks, in your opinion, do we use the UNC type of offensive game plan against Miami? It, it's funny that he asked. I was watching this game right before. Uh, the thing that I know that Chris is going to say is that 
UNC has Sam Howe and that they have one of the best slot wide receivers in the country to help with that game plan? Was that what you were going to say? No, I was actually going to say I think Miami defensively is much more aggressive than UNC. Um, and some of what plays into the negative. Uh, you, you know, UNC I, to me sits back. If we're flipping it to the other side, I FSU's think his defense against them. I Downs is super talented, but Rambo's a one-on-one killer. I. Real quick, though, I think he was – I could be misreading that. I thought he was asking to, to use the UNC game plan that they used on offense or against Miami, like what Sam Howell and Josh Downs did. Or, is, or Go Knowles, are you talking about is FSU going to use the game plan it used against UNC? Yeah. No. I, I don't I don't find Miami and UNC to be super comparable personally. Uh, yeah, their defenses are different. I, I think Knighton's a very different running back than Chandler, for example. I think Rambo's a one-on-one killer, while Downs is a bit more streaked down the field and getting the better of you. Um, Will Mallory's a pretty talented tight end. I'd take Howell over Van Dyke, but Van Dyke certainly injected a hell of a lot of confidence into Miami. It's a big reason why they've turned this thing around. And then defensively, I think Miami's far more aggressive than UNC is. I think we've can I confused everything. It's fine. We're all good. Um, I, you can run on Miami. All right, you can do that. Uh, you can attack their linebackers. Is something that UNC did against them in the passing game. Uh, that is incumbent on FSU's running backs and tight ends to to be productive and win the one on ones. But but there's ability to move the ball there. But like Chris said, Miami is very aggressive and athletic. Uh, so yeah, you're gonna have to win one on one battles. So going to the other side of the ball, Chris talked about some of the weapons that Miami has. Uh, Charleston Rambo, awesome. Uh, Jalen Knight has yeah. been really, really good for them as well. Uh, but really what's turned things around for Miami is the emergence of Tyler Van Dyke, the quarterback. Uh, Chris is going to get into some of his numbers in a second here. I just have to say, the irony of Miami thinking they have a quarterback for the last uh, however long it's been, decade, decade plus, not having that quarterback, then somehow – Sandwiched between the Eric King, uh, who was a very productive transfer, and Steven Garcia. No, wait, not Steve, Jake Garcia, excuse me, a blue chip, borderline five star quarterback. Sandwiched in between those two guys is a kid from Glastonbury, Connecticut. My grandma was in a nursing home in Glastonbury, Connecticut. All they do is nursing homes and pizza up there. There's nothing else going on in Glastonbury, Connecticut. But there emerges Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, he has been awesome the last couple of weeks he has a huge arm and really i mean miami win has won three games by a total of, i think eight points uh so it's been close games but he's given them a shot in the arm chris yeah 124 of 195 for 1877 passing 15 passing touchdowns four interception zone so he's done a good job valuing the ball he's not a killer with his legs but he is capable enough with him you got to keep an eye on it he's also a pretty big dude so he's not easiest to take down but he's been the shot in the arm he's one that's kind of helped him turn it around a stat that they provided in their stuff is they're four and two with him in six starts. He's thrown for the ninth, ninth most yards in a single game in Miami history in that stretch when he threw for 426 against Pitt. Over his last three games, he's completing 72% of passes, averaging 380 passing yards with 10 touchdowns and only one pick. So, yeah, he's been awesome. And then Charleston Rambos is his go to guy, awesome wide receiver transfer that landed there from, I believe it was OU. Uh, yeah, last week, Georgia Tech game, if you watched it, he had 210 on seven receptions, so 30 per, <laughs> including a touchdown, one ACC wide receiver of the week honors. He's also had four 100-yard games this year, which uh, he's one of only six receivers in the league to do that, Downs being one of the other ones. I think Roberson for uh, Wake Forest is also another one with regards to that. So those are a couple guys that FSU has faced. 
that are somewhat comparable in that regard. And then the guy that kind of allows them to mix it up, I think we're all falling in a bit of a trap of their pass heavy. They're super good at passing. They can run it too. Jalen Knighton, FSU fans should be familiar with him. He was once committed here. He just had his first 100-yard rushing game, 162 on 32 carries against uh, Georgia Tech. He missed a few games early in the year. I believe he was suspended, may have been injured. I think it was suspension, but I can't remember for sure. But since he's come back, he's been very good. Some of that is because they've lost their lead back. So it's become Knighton and then Cody Brown. But Knighton's been good. 102 for 461 with five rushing touchdowns, 92.2 per appearance this season. Longest run to date is only 28 yards. 13 receptions, buck 67, and two receiving touchdowns. He leads them in touchdowns. He's the player with the most total offensive touchdowns on the team, outside of quarterback, of course. Is it? Is a toughie like a couple of the guys that Miami has on offense, like you know, Jalen Knighton, you had committed to you and you weren't able to convince. Um, when the new coaching staff came in, it was already kind of too far gone, he was already training away from Florida State at that point. Um, but certainly, some that would have helped out this offense, and even like Charleston Rambo was some that FSU at least talked to when he was in the transfer portal. You end up with Andrew Parchment, and you just look at the production of those two uh portal wide receivers, how different it is. And I'm not saying that FSU picked Parchment over. Uh, Rambo I think Rambo went to a place with a more established quarterback situation and just offense in general has worked out well for him it just shows like what the importance of getting talent what what it can do getting guys who can who can make contested catches who can win one-on-one battles who can make people miss in space like this is what it looks like this is what FSU eventually needs to do under this coaching staff to to have uh the amount of success it it, it can have and, and it is upside on offense so, Go Knowles clarified. He was asking, does Jordan Travis only throw it 13 times against Miami? I don't think FSU can afford to do that. I, I guess I'm suspect of the belief that FSU is going to be able to run it with ease against Miami. Um, I think Miami's a little bit more physical at the point of attack. I think Miami can do a little bit more at the line of scrimmage. That causes issues there. And then he followed that up with, like, do we run it down the throat and throw maybe two, three times a quarter? Again, I, I don't – I am not of the opinion that that's – advantageous for FSU. I think FSU is going to try to be run first because that is the strength. That is the identity, but I think they're going to have to drop back there at times and try to push it down the field and try to pass and try to be aggressive. I don't think Miami's the kind of team. I think against Miami, you do try to hit shot plays. I guess it's the best way I can put it as a passing offense, but I think you have to set that up with both the run and short passing game. Yeah, you're gonna have to be have a semblance of balance. So ultimately, like I think the big plays come if you if you do hit big plays, they're gonna come probably more consistently in the run game just based on Miami's tackling. But but there has to be some semblance of balance to where they can't tee off and you know pepper in the the gaps and, and keep everything kind of plugged up. So yeah. Uh so one thing on going back to when Miami is on offense, FSU is on defense. We mentioned the the skill positions that they have and, and how good the other top guys have been, and then Tyler Van Dyke. Uh Miami is I think in the past month, first nationally in gains of 20 plus yards. So they are hitting big plays, splash plays. A lot of that is they have a quarterback who can push the ball downfield and then the guys are, are going up and, and making plays and winning one on one. That scares me, Chris, because Florida State secondary, while, it, while the defense has tracked better recently, uh, we saw some of those communication errors or tackling issues. Uh, show up in key moments against NC State this past week. Maybe some of that's fatigue. Yeah. Maybe some of that's the flu. Uh, the offense not moving the ball. Those are all factors. But Miami will absolutely expose you if you're if you're not being sharp. And FSU wasn't particularly sharp in key moments on, on last Saturday. 
Yeah, as we ding Miami for bad tackling, we can ding FSU through nine games for being a team that allows explosive plays because of miscommunication and poor technique and fundamentals at times as a secondary. I think the, that's entirely the, fair. I was going back to the NC State, that big that 63-yard touchdown play, Chris. NC State only sends three guys out on a pattern there. FSU was running quarters defense. So you had four four defensive backs drop back and all three linebackers drop back. Think about that. They score, they score with gonna, three versus seven. If FSU is going to bother Miami, it's going to be by the front porch winning the game. Miami's allowing three sacks per game. That's 111th in the nation. 6.78 tackles for loss per game. That's 118th in the nation. Somewhat those numbers are surprising because of the amount of experience Miami has up front. They're one of the more experienced offensive lines in the country. Uh, they have 204 combined starts at the FBS level as an offensive line. Minnesota with 225 is the only FBS team with more. Uh, Miami's most battle-tested veterans on the offensive line, Navon Donaldson, familiar name, 41 starts. DJ Scaife, 35. Jared Williams, who's a transfer in there that FSU was involved with, 34. Corey Gaynor, 29. Ja'Kai Clark, 26. And then they got a couple other guys down the pecking order with around 24 to 30. So, yeah, they they – have a group that has been through it a lot, but they also give up a lot as an offensive line. I think the key for FSU against Miami's offense is to kind of accept their fate that Van Dyke is going to try to air it out, try to take Knighton out of this game, which is a tough task in its own right. Certainly don't let Knighton kill you in the passing game. You don't want him screen game, something like that, where it injures you or hinders you. Or I stood up against your linebackers. That scares me to him coming no, out of the backfield. Yeah, I don't want to think about it. Um, but I, I think you have to kind of put it on Van Dyke and then you got to pressure Van Dyke. And that's mm-hmm. a big ask, but it is something that numbers say is a capability for you to actually go after. Chris said, ask. It's a big ask is what he said. <clears throat> I'm a little caught in mouth over here. Sorry. <laughs> this has been a long podcast. We're almost done. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke has actually been pretty good under pressure. I'll throw that out there. He's been like top 20, top 25 nationally in passer rating uh, for a redshirt freshman to be, you know, adept to handling pressure like that's a toughie fsu is going to not have to just like pressure him they're gonna have to get him take him down force third and longs and give yourself a chance yeah chris said that front porch is going to be key i I agree totally jermaine johnson care thomas need to have great games uh you got to hope i think fabian lovett got a little dinged up last week against nc state you got to hope that you have him near full health and and productive um and maybe you know the situational passing down stuff malcolm ray miami native comes up big Derek mcclendon you're gonna need to to get them in passing situations and then get the quarterback down. I mean, that's that's going to be the name of the game. You can't give them time in the pocket because they will expose your secondary if given too much time. So uh, that's kind of how we feel about the offense, the defense of Christopher. Time for predictions. What do you got? I think I'm going Miami. I'm not hard on this score in the sense of I'm definitely going to put it on paper, but 35-28. Okay. I, I have Miami winning 34 to 31. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be in that ballpark. Like, I FSU's, feel like the, the, the. Well, So I was going to say FSU's defense is pretty average all across the board. Like if you look at their season-long produ- you know, production, basically teams do what they normally do against FSU's defense. Like FSU's defense doesn't play against itself. They don't usually – they're not – they haven't proven recently to be the elixir that gets things going even against Clemson. Like some of that was fluky with – late game penalty and, and the backdoor cover. Uh, so I think Miami is going to score about what it's been scoring recently, which is in the the 30 range. Um, so I, I'm projecting that. So yeah, 34 points is what I got for Miami right now. I think FSU can keep pace offensively. 
Uh, maybe I'm being a little ambitious with 31, um, but I do expect FSU to be able to score, you know, in the 20s with Jordan Travis. I'd be I'd be surprised and disappointed if they're not able to at least you know get into the the mid 20 range and then you know see what happens from there. Maybe you get some some turnover luck or special teams luck finally this season. But yeah, I like Miami right now. All right, Chris, anything else before we get out of here? Nope. Can you throw a upside down you for me? Nope. Uh, for Zach Blostein, Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been on the bench. Uh, Josh will join us for the instant on Saturday is the plan right now. And also check out right now. We are planning to have Seminole boosters, uh, the head of Seminole boosters, Michael Alford on, on the bench for a bonus episode on Friday. So for people while you're you know, driving up or, or down to Tallahassee to, for the game, you go ahead and check that out. We're going to get him just kind of do a, a state of the, the booster program. He's been doing a bit of a media tour and, and we've had this one scheduled out for about a week or so. So uh, we'll ask Michael some questions coming up uh, tomorrow morning. If you're listening to this on Thursday, that is my rambling, Chris. Bye.